खिलाफत के अमी हम हैं अमानत हम संभालेंगे जो नेमत छिन वी बिलीव इन इक्वेलिटी ऑफ ह्यूमन बीइंग्स इन द रूल ऑफ लॉ एंड वी आर अगेंस्ट ऑल टाइप्स ऑफ ऑपरेशन वेलकम टू द एमकेए यूएसए वाइब रन बाय मजलिस कुदामल अहमदिया यूएसए America's oldest and largest Muslim male youth organization. We're here to share a weekly recap of the latest in Friday sermons, speeches, lessons from our respected imams and wisdom from different sources. Khalifa ke labon se jo gulo jo har bikharte hain I shall begin with a declaration of faith. Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah wahdahu la sharika lah. Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu Respected Dr. Hamid Rahman Saab, Chairman of this session, my dear brothers and sisters of the Ahmadiyya community, and all of these distinguished guests who have taken their precious time on this weekend, in which we understand this is an important weekend in the Christian tradition of celebrating Christmas. It was a time when we have the Jewish holidays of Hanukkah, and there are other such occasions for people to not be here today, where they would be engaged in family and other such activity. So I want to begin by expressing my appreciation to all of you for coming out and spending this time with us on this auspicious occasion, about 32nd gathering in the west coast of USA on the celebration of our annual convention. I want to address the topic today, but I want to use it as a point of reflection for all of us. Because I believe at the end of every single year, this is what we do as a nation, as in fact a world. We stop for a moment, we reflect, we think about where we have been and where we're heading, and trying to make sure the course going ahead is corrected. As we have our GPS systems that keep correcting when we go off course, recalculating. So if it is time for us to recalculate, then it's best for us to do it together, because as we say, we are all in this together in this world. We are no longer disconnected. We are associated, we are dependent, and we are affected by what each other does and believes and promotes. In this regard, I want to share one of my favorite parables of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. 
regarding a group of people who embark on a journey together. They're about to enter a boat, and as they're entering the boat, they are drawing lot. One lot lets you go to the upper section, and the second lot makes you go to the lower section. In this parable, the prophet says, after drawing the lots, when the people in the lower section feel the need of thirst and water, they go up to the upper section and say to the people, if you allow us, we'll put a hole in the bottom of the boat, but it won't cause you any harm. Then the prophet said, if the people in the upper section allow the lower section people to do this, all will be drowned. And if they prevent them from doing it, all will be safe and reach their destination safely. This parable, when I think about it, quite often I share it in many places where I go around the world. It is the moment of reflection to stop and think Collectively, whatever we are doing is affecting someone else in this entire journey of life, in this our global family. Because now, as they say, it's not America is separate from Africa or Asia or Europe. Everything that happens here no longer stays here. If you believe that, you're going to be the next person who has a viral video out there, trust me. It is the case where I was overseas this summer, and I heard about what happened in Charlestown. I didn't have to be there. And it wasn't just breaking news in America. It was breaking news throughout the globe. Every channel, TV station, global, otherwise, was giving news about what's happening in America. The whole world knows that there's been fires in Los Angeles and California. The whole world knows what happens anywhere in this planet of ours because we are so interconnected. And now with the internet, social media, Twitter, et cetera, a young lady in a square in Egypt can send out a tweet and launch an Arab Spring to bring down a government. That's the power of this media, and this is the, the impact that all of us have or can have by what we do. It is thus in this parable I ask all of us today, and I see many of my old friends, and I don't mean old by age, I mean having relations with you before, and some new friends here today. I see people here of different faith traditions. I see people here of different walks of life. I'm sure all of us now have entered this room right now with one common purpose, to be together and enjoy this moment. But I say let's stop again for a moment and reflect. If this is that boat, if this is the vessel, we're about to embark on this journey together. And we have to decide, having entered the boat, now close the doors. No one else gets on. It's just going to be us right now. And the captain of the ship is announcing to everyone in the passenger, please tell me what we can do together to make sure we can not just reach the destination, we can enjoy the ride. This won't be a titanic disaster. This will be something that we all talk about for eons to come for generations and foreign generations. And the question then is, what is the principle that will allow us to make this journey together? What is the rule of order that will make sure no one suffers injustice? In this sense, I believe there are three things 
and they are a topic of this session and this speech. The first is called Adl in Arabic, or justice. The second is called Ihsan, or kindness. And the third is called Ita'ad al-Qurba, or love as between kindreds, relations, especially the relation of those who are very intimate with you. It is this verse of the Quran that was mentioned by the chairman. Every single Friday, the Muslims hear this verse over and over again. Verily, God enjoins upon you justice and kindness and treating each other as if you are close kin. And is this reminder to us every single Friday to leave God's house and enter this world and treat people with these three principles. And it's this principle again of first starting out justice that is not just a message in the Muslim world, it is in fact the message we find in all faith traditions. So allow me to share something about the world body of faith that speaks to the issue of these three principles in some degree or some fashion and thus letting us know Islam doesn't claim to monopolize universal truth. It doesn't claim to have all and only the truth that's ever been revealed to mankind. In fact, it says God has been revealing himself to all peoples, all places, and all times. But the message has always been the same. Thus, Gautama Buddha, he taught, I quote, just as a mother would protect her only child, even at the risk of her own life, even so, cultivate a boundless heart, a boundless heart towards all beings. Let thoughts of boundless love pervade the whole world, above, below, across, without any obstruction, without any hatred, without any enmity. Again, in the Hindu faith, the Krishna taught the message of Dharma. It says, quote, one should never do that to another which one regards as injurious to one's own self. This, in brief, is the rule of Dharma. Other behavior is due to selfish desires. And I'm sure if you read scripture in any form or fashion, you'll hear this is what, what kind of rule? This is the golden rule. Do not do to others what you would not want done to you. And conversely, do to others what you would like done to yourself. Beautiful principles, again, taught to us in the scripture of the Hindu teachings. Moses upon liberating the Israelites from the clutches of the Pharaoh, received this divine instruction. And I'm sure you've heard it before, but again, it all sets into one motion a principle of how we move together. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17 to 21, it says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow, 
and shows his love for the stranger by giving him food and clothing. So show your love for the stranger, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I narrated a few scriptures from the Jewish tradition, the Buddhist and the Hindu tradition. Go forward to the book of Micah. God has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your Lord? Of course, the messages which we hear very clearly these days in this time of goodwill and peace to all men on earth was the message of the Christ. And those who failed to live up to that standard, he admonished in the book of Matthew, woe to you teachers of the law, woe to you teachers of the law. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. This is a common theme, as I say, throughout our journey as a human family. Whether we are Buddhist or Hindu or Christian or Jewish or Muslim or any faith tradition, I have seen this message resonate throughout all the pages of our scripture and all of the revelations received from on high. And it reminds me that we are truly one human family seeking one common purpose and embarking on a common destination, whether or not we realize it. Thus, to some degree or another, every civil order attempts to replicate these messages that have been received from the most holiest who have walked on earth. And in our nation, a nation that at one point spoke clearly to the power that be, the ruling authority, and said no taxation without representation, if you recall. It launched a revolution that made us who we are, that wrote our constitution and established what is to be one of the principles for our whole nation, liberty and justice for all. That's our pledge. I've been saying this since I've been a very small boy and hearing it all my life. But the question now we have to ask ourselves in this journey together, how far have we gone in acting in executing the plan given to us from our holy founders? We see that in this day and age, a common chant is no justice, no peace. And some wonder, is this a call for violence and terror and lashing out against government and the patriotic principles of our, our country? The reality is, it is no taxation 
no representation. I'm from DC area, so I see this all the time on license plates. It's still going on. I'm not going to go political right now. I could, and it'll make a real split in the hall here, I'm sure. So I don't want to do that. I want to keep us together on this boat. Don't jump off. Let's make the ride together. But this is the reality. It's a call to the guarantee, the promise that there has to be justice for all. It's a call to all mankind that America is still an ideal, but the reality still speaks to the need to improve our order and to align ourselves with our faith principles and to live by them. Can you imagine a world where the majority of people still at this moment are either Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, or Buddhist? Just follow the first principles I articulated today. Would there be war? Would there be civil unrest? Would there be inequality in terms of the distribution of resources on this planet so that someone has a home and someone is living in a cardboard box? Someone is eating five meals a day and someone can't even get a meal for five minutes in an hour. Over the course of a whole year, you'll see them they're struggling on the streets of any part of this world. Travel the, the global family and you'll see those people down below aren't doing it because they want to destroy who's up above. They're desperate. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're cold. There's no clothing on their bodies. And they're asking those above, can you please give us something of this security you're enjoying? That's the reality of the world I'm living in and we're all living in. If we just turn on anything that shows us what's happening out there and gives us a true picture. So thus, there's a critical need at this time not to speak about justice, not to chant just no justice and no peace, but to walk, to live, to promote, to be the embodiments of justice in our own lives. And that's where I believe it begins. 35 years ago, 1982, I left this country as a very young man on my own spiritual journey to the center of our community in Kadiyan, India. I went there with my mind receptive and open and my heart willing to learn, to understand, to experience something outside the borders of my country. When I went to India, I found there are people who were much different than us. They weren't rich people by any stretch of the imagination. India is a very undeveloped nation even up to this point. The streets were so narrow, I'm almost bumping into the walls as I'm walking along, and the roofs were so short, I had to duck and almost crawl my way around that city. But I found there the principles of peace and love of the highest order the Quran talks about. The Quran doesn't just say be just. That means if someone pokes out your eye, poke out their eye. It doesn't just say to be kind. If someone pokes at your eye, okay, forget about it. Just act as if it didn't happen. It says, to love as a mother loves a child with no preconditions, no hidden agenda, no plan or action. It's spontaneous, it's natural. And it's this flowing love that's missing now in most of our lives in our communities. As I left Kadian, I went to our headquarters in Rabwa. There, the fourth caliph of our community who's passed away now, Mr. Tahir Ahmed, 
He addressed the annual convention in Pakistan. And on the final day, he spoke on this exact same subject as I'm addressing today. And I want to share the opening remark of this speech because it has such a profound effect on me. It left such an indelible mark on my heart and my mind that from that day forward, I decided that God Almighty, if you give me the chance, I want to serve this man and this principle and bring it back to my nation. In fact, I hope it goes to the whole world because this is the solution. He said, and I quote, humanity is in dire need of the application of this universal principle. All of its ills, which are responsible for polluting and contaminating human relationships, are directly born out of lack of its application, lack of absolute justice. Mankind stands in need of justice so desperately that if we do not teach it to the people in light of this Quranic principle, they will continue to wander astray, losing their way in a labyrinth of utter ignorance. Man will continue to suffer heavily at the hands of fellow mankind. Therefore, it is our utmost duty to enlighten the world with the Quranic principle of absolute justice. As a young man hearing these words for the first time, in a field where 300,000 people were present, when they would raise a slogan of praising God, it sounded like thunder was coming out of the sky, and it rolled over you and caused a vibration to the core of your being. And the one message that kept coming through, justice is not just a law, it is a way of life. It is the entire universe that is governed by justice and balance and order. And move one degree of water above temperature, you create tidal waves. Move a planet one degree, you're going to destroy the whole universe. And move a government against principle of justice, you create rebellion and insurrection and what we're seeing everywhere in the world, war and conflict. In our own nation, just one example, if we don't practice justice, man will suffer from the hands of fellow man. I won't speak of the suffering of man. I'll speak of the suffering of woman at the hands of man. This is what I found when I came back recently into the country. A new revolution, a new hashtag, me too. And every man is now put on notice and is worried, perhaps I will be next. The first one that launched Me Too wasn't a woman. There was a man named Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, 14 centuries ago. In an area of the world where a woman being born to a man was a disgrace in some families, they would take that child, a female child, and bury it in the sand because they didn't want this child to live and be a source of disgrace and humiliation to the proud men who had to produce sons to protect their family. One man recounted the scene of his earlier years before he became Muslim, how he took his little small child and put her into a hole. And the child cried out, Papa, 
Papa, what are you doing? And he began putting dirt on that child. And she stared at him, incredulous. What are you doing? And he said, I buried my child. The prophet of Islam at that point, and he looked at him, his tears were streaming down his cheeks, and he couldn't hold back. And he said, Man la yarham, la yurham. One who is not merciful cannot expect to be shown mercy. This is where we are right now. Me Too speaks not to just one woman in Hollywood having the courage to speak out. It's the millions around the world who are undergoing for century upon century the lack of right and justice. Think about what happened here in our country after the recent election. It wasn't just a glass ceiling wasn't broken. It was all the hopes and dreams of a new generation of women saying, this will be the time at last we will arrive. America, land of justice and freedom and equality and rights for all. Here is our recent report card. 70 million women and children who depend on them are living in or on the brink of poverty in America. I'm not talking Africa, Europe, Central or South America, Asia or some island. I'm saying 70 million in our nation. It is the highest in all industrialized nations. The U.S. has the largest number of homeless women and children. Each year, 4.7 million American women experience domestic violence by an intimate partner. 4.7 million cries, no justice, no peace. Three women on average are murdered by a boyfriend or husband every single day. We came here today, by the time we go home tonight, three more have been suffered, have suffered this loss of life. And 270,000 women and girls are sexually assaulted annually, including one in five during college years. So me too. It's just not even skimming the, the tip of this iceberg. 270,000 America alone projected around the world. We are a global family. We're not an American family anymore. What happens there happens here. I see the loss of life in Africa. I see the co corruption in Asia. And I see the suffering of all these ladies who are now trying to band together and ask someone to give them a voice. If I were to go on, and if I had time, I would go on, but it would seem as if I'm painting nothing but a bleak picture at the end of our year. And we want hope. We want a message that lifts us up. We want to go home tonight and tuck our kids in and feel good in our hearts that the future for them will be brighter than the past. We want to say to our, our nation and the world that we are going to be that bright, shining city on the hill still for you to follow. So I'm not going to just focus on all the negativity that's out there. The Black Lives Matter that speaks to young men around the nation feeling as if they're criminalized by their color. 
the dreamers who came here with hope but now being shown an American nightmare and asked to take a trip back home. It can go on and on and on. We all live it. We all know it. We're in this boat together. No one can hide anymore. All we can do is say we will live by a greater standard and principle, and this is the hope. The prophet of Islam came to a people, as I said, were burying their girls in the dust, were treating their women, gambling their wives away in, in gambling fits. We're speaking about the foreigner as a person that deserves to be captured and enslaved. And before he left this world, there were people who would give their wives the right to vote, to speak, to inherit, to educate. He lifted the slaves up to the highest platforms and made them the leaders of the world who would to go to the orphans and the widows and the wayfarers and respect their rights and allow everyone to practice and profess the faith of their tradition. It is this prophet of Islam who one day was walking along the streets of Mecca, an old woman carrying her bag, and she saw him, and he picked up the bag and carried it out of town. And at the end of the, that long journey, she turned to him and said, you seem to be a nice man. I can't give you any money. I'm poor. But I want to give you one piece of advice. There's a man in our town, I heard. He's a magician, a sorcerer, a soothsayer. You have to avoid him at all costs because he'll destroy everything you know. He said, who is that man? What's his name? She said, his name is Muhammad. He said, I am Muhammad. Upon hearing this, her entire perception changed because she had been walking long and tired on the road. No one would pick up her bag. No one cared about her. No one lifted her burden except this man who she thought was the enemy of her people, the one who attacked her whole system. And upon that, her heart and mind changed, and she was ready to embrace Islam. I ask you, in the end, to listen again to the words of the clique of the time, Mirza Masrur Ahmed, speaking to this issue of the need of justice and why we, as people of faith, have the ultimate answer and the hope. But we must just act upon it and not cave in and tell others that we are not the answer, we are the problem. That's what we're hearing more and more. Just get all the religious folks off the boat. Throw them off. We'll be okay. Get rid of all those things they call scripture and let's guide ourselves by our own moral compass and reason because they're causing all the problems. So all you folks out here of faith, please jump off the boat. We'll have a safe ride home. You believe that? There's a man that had a song, proper song, Imagine. Imagine a world without religion, without God, without all the folks of faith. I believe this is the greatest injustice we're doing in this world right now, of not understanding religion. So thus he said, and I'm going to have to conclude with these words here, the words of, again, our beloved Khalifa. Today, in reality, the root cause of this is their failure the world today is enveloped, enveloped in cruelty and disorder. The developed and well-educated class of people believe the root cause of the problem is religion. The root cause of this is their failure to understand religion, 
The world thinks that we should abandon religion in order to end this disorder. And there is abundant propaganda promoting this notion, saying that religion either makes a person ignorant and dull or turns him into an extremist. You're going to be one or the other. A person who's just lost their mind, living in a fantasy world, or go to some kind of fundamental extreme degree and create problems. They say that one can only progress by shunning religion and believe that advancement can be achieved by moving away from God Almighty. And due to the spread of this false notion, the number of people who have denied the existence of God is increasing on a daily basis. The reality is, however, the world is in disorder because it has forgotten God Almighty. This disorder is either because of the misuse of God's Almighty's teachings and using the name of God as a pretext for one's own hidden agenda or due to the denial of God's existence altogether. Therefore, whatever we are witnessing in the world today is due to man considering himself to be the wisest and being devoid of the light of revelation. I honor today, in this final moment, traditions of faith. I honor all of you who have come here today. May God bless us all in our faith traditions and be the best we can be in our tradition. If we live by dharma, justice, love for humanity, care for the stranger, we wouldn't have a problem with immigrants coming in, refugees seeking our help. We wouldn't have a problem with black and white or yellow or red. We wouldn't have a problem of economic disorder and inequalities. We wouldn't have a problem of one person of faith wanting to overcome another by some power of strength as opposed to power of heart and soul and beauty of traditions. So in the end, I call us together in one last principle of the Quran. Ta'awanu al-birri wa taqwa. Ta'awanu, let us help one another. This is a common journey, a common struggle. It's not the struggle of one faith or one community or one nation. It is a, now a global struggle. And we're all in this together because what happens now in the world is potentially going to affect us no matter where we are. God says, help one another in goodness and godliness. Teach all these good things. The prophet of Islam, when he was a very young man, was called toward an action. I now would like to call us toward an action. Those of our faith and those who have come to be friends of our faith, or friends of our community, or who have come here first time and want to do something to change this world. I said, where's the hope? I could walk with a man who says, I want to build a better world by justice and love and kindness. I can work with that person. I can improve my community. And this is what the Prophet Islam was called to when he was a very young man. In that age of darkness and violence and corruption and warfare, a group got together and said, enough is enough. We're going to stand for justice. And they formed a society of justice. The Prophet of Islam himself said years later, quote, in the house of Abdullah bin Jadan, I once partook in such an oath that even if I was called to it today in the age of Islam, 
I would present myself saying, here I am to do this undertaking. Even after he became a prophet of God, he said, if this group calls me for justice, I will come and present myself. Our call this year is to have an effort in our nation called Muslims for Justice. We're just starting the effort. We're building the coalitions. We're seeking to work with those who want to change this world for the better and do it not alone and independent and isolated, but those who have the same mind and heart and spirit and tradition and teaching. And that, I believe, is going to go much further and produce a much better result any of us working independently on our own. May we all understand this. The last prayer offered by our beloved Khalifa spoke to this. I'll end with this prayer. May God Almighty, may God Almighty enable us all to develop such sympathy for the whole of mankind. Each person should try to develop this sympathy according to his or her standards and capacity. Instead of heading towards destruction, may the world save itself by understanding the subject of justice and the doing of good to others and giving like kindred. May God Almighty also enable the world to understand this and thereby make the world into a heavenly abode and also provide the means in this world for the heaven that lies in the hereafter Amin. In the end, we praise God Almighty. Thank you very much for your time. You've been listening to the MKA Vibe by Majlis Qudamal Ahmadiyya USA, America's oldest and largest Muslim male youth organization. Subscribe to get more of our weekly recap of the latest in Friday sermons, speeches, lessons from our respected Imams and wisdom from different sources. Tweet us your ideas and thoughts at Muslim Youth USA.